Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. April, when you were singing and leading earlier, I was thinking of Habakkuk. Uh, you know, when you talk about praising God no matter what. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olives fail, and the field no, yields no food, and the flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God is my strength. No matter what. <clears throat> and um, that's uh, coming from an agrarian culture where their, their fields and their flocks were, were, were their lives livelihood. So, yeah, I'm sure we can praise God this morning, even though we uh, have our, our challenges. Um, yeah, so as Josh mentioned, we are uh, uh, starting this new series called uh, Get It Together. We were really, really hoping that by now we were going to actually be able to get all together. And that was part of our planning, but God had other plans, and so we're going to roll with that. Uh, uh, community is one of our core values. Truth, community, and engagement are our core, core values. And, and community is uh, one of our core values. It's our central core value. But what does that look like? And uh, sometimes we think of communities looking like, well, that's when we all get together. Well, actually, community is much bigger than that. It's much greater than that. We experience community and we engage community uh, not just when we can all get together, but even when, uh, when it's one-on-one, on one, or even when two or three are gathered in his name, that's part of community. So don't think that we cannot experience community in these days, because we can. Now, there are different ways to think about community. Even through a scriptural lens, there are different ways to think about community. And over the course of the next 12 weeks, we're hoping to gain a fuller appreciation for Christian community from uh, examining uh, and taking a little bit of time to think about the one another exhortations in the New Testament. I've studied the one another's, uh, the New Testament, numerous times personally, and every time I have it has enriched my life, every single time. Life is, in essence, relational. Because God, the creator, is relational. Uh, the teaching on this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. You will recall that when God created us, he said, let us make man in our image. God himself exists in community. We sang this morning about praising the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, that, of course, is uh, a reference, biblical reference to, to uh, what we refer to as the Trinity of God. Um, so our relationship with God is the basis and the source of life, and that life is to be relational. Life is, in essence, relational, and the gospel creates community. The gospel creates community. So, for example, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to project this, uh, some passages of Scripture this morning, um, 
And uh, in a few moments, we're going to get to a couple of specific one another's. But just as we think about how the gospel creates community, take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That's relationship all the way. He reconciled us through Christ to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So our life is uh, relational and our ministry is also relational. That is, verse 19, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the tre- uh, their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So the gospel is the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then this amazing statement in verse 21, for our sake, he made him, that is God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Relationship, relationship, relationship. One more, uh, John 17, where Jesus is praying to the Father, is what's referred to as his great high priestly prayer. He says there, praying uh, for his disciples, I do not ask for these only, verse 20, John 17, verse 20 and following. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's you and I, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may maybe be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Relationship, relationship, Relationship. So the gospel reconciles the individual to God and to those who belong to God. So the gospel creates community, and not just any kind of community. It's a quality of community because it is God's full intention that the community created by the gospel of Jesus be a new community. Uh, Reflecting the virtues and the values of the kingdom of God in our lives. His kingdom, which is a reflection of his qualities. And it's all made possible by Christ and it all centers around him. So this is a renewing and it's a a restoring, a a reversing of the effects of the fall. Um, Not only... Has the quality of our relationships in general been been affected by the fall, by the realities of sin and the fall, but even the very value of community or the importance of community has been subverted by the by the entrance of sin into the world and by the fall that as a result. Um, so what I mean by that is there is has. And there continues to be a strong push towards individualism and autonomy and independence away from community, away from relationship, away from interdependence. And so, for example, in our day, the supreme emphasis that we see on personal rights and freedoms has led to a a denial of personal responsibilities 
and the embracing of what could be referred to as the common good. Others, one of the most important words in the Bible is the word others. Think about that. Tim Keller, over, uh, just not quite um, a decade ago, made a statement uh, directed, that he directed towards millennials. Now, uh, millennials are the generation uh, will, uh, spread that sociologists um, label uh, that were born in the 80s and early 90s. So if you were born in the 80s, 1980s, that's not you, Dale. If you were born in the 1980s or early 90s, the sociologists call you a millennial because they've noticed that you have certain traits. Now, it's, it's a generalization, right? We, we understand that. Not all, all millennials are the same, and some millennials have more in common with some baby boomers than they do with other millennials, and, and we all understand that. I hope we understand that. But in general terms, millennials uh, are, are those. So how old would that make you now? we have any millennials here this morning? April's a millennial? Just barely. <laughs> Josh? Um, so, so uh, we're talking about uh, being between 25 and 40-ish, 42, to, to be more accurate to what the sociologists say. Um, Tim Keller made this statement in 2013 on Twitter. It says, you millennials are, a generation, are the generation most afraid of real community. Because it inevitably limits freedom and choice. And then he says, get over your fear. You need to get over your fear. Why? Because you need community. We need community. And even though it can be fearful, and it is, there's a lot of fear involved in community. Because it means being known. And it means having to curtail your own uh, rights and freedoms for the good of others. It means having responsibilities as well as privileges. And it's not that the millennials are the only ones that struggle with that. But sometimes it can be harder for certain groups. Previous generations seem to grasp uh, this. Uh, you know, may, and maybe part of this is because technology has allowed us to become more independent. Because in the proverbial old days... We, need, we knew we needed each other more because we didn't have all of the luxuries of being able to pick, go and pick up our phones and go, I think I'll order this for dinner. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, the <laughs> previous generations maybe had an advantage this way in terms of not being uh, as... Uh, uh, separated from some of the harsher realities of life by technology. Uh, uh, one of the most profound statements about this historically comes from the pen of the 16th century English poet, theologian John Donne. Uh, it's said that John Donne is second only to Shakespeare in uh, his literary importance. That uh, makes him a pretty important literary figure. Ernest Hemingway's uh, great novel about um, the Spanish Civil War, he named it For Whom the Bell Tolls, and he was quoting John Donne when he, when he titled that book uh, based on those lines from, from Donne that some of you would be familiar with. Maybe you're familiar with uh, Simon and Garfunkel from the 1970s. I am a rock. I am an island. 
Why? Because rocks feel no pain and an island never cries. That's that fear thing again, right? Simon and Garfunkel were uh, quoting from John Donne. John Donne said this. He said, no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. He says, any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. He was talking about the funeral bell. He was writing in 16th century England. You might be familiar with some of the plagues that were common in those days. I have all kinds of quotes because I collect quotes. I I love to... Uh, learn from other people. Do you like that? Learning from the experiences of other people, it's, it's really cool to be able to do that. That's why I uh, say to you, be a reader. Be a reader. Thomas Merton, to consider persons and events and situations only in light of their effect upon myself is to live on the doorstep of hell. <coughs> Excuse me. Now I could go on with those, but uh, because these are sacred truths about life, that we do not exist to ourselves or for ourselves, that ultimately we exist to and for God and all that is of God. And we can't get those truths anywhere but from our Judeo-Christian heritage, from the theology of the Bible and that's why I, I, uh, I just love uh, Herman Melville wrote Moby Dick. Herman Melville said, we cannot live only for ourselves. A thousand fibers connect us with our fellow men. And among those fibers, as sympathetic threads, our actions run as causes, and they come back to us as effects. Anybody read Moby Dick? A lot of theology in Moby Dick. Uh, Frederick Collins. I, I love this. Frederick Collins said there are two types of people, those who come into a room and say, well, here I am, and those who walk into a room and say, oh, there you are. Think about that. If we go back to Scripture, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, the differences between any of us and all of us are real and they're important but it is the commonality that we share that enables us to share life and to share the journey, which is the theme of our church, to share the journey. No two people are exactly alike. Every one of us is different from every other in many ways, but what we have in common is much greater than any of our differences. Our common humanity transcends things like ethnicity or gender or all of those things. It is what we share as human beings and what we share in as human beings that enables us to share in the gospel and to share the gospel. When we say the gospel creates community, we need to understand what that means and what it doesn't mean because it's not just community but a specific kind of of community. It's what the scripture calls koinonia or communion. It's a quality of communion, our community for a quality of life that rests on the truths about life as God has created it to be experienced in community. So over the course of the next 12 weeks, 
Lord willing, we hope to talk about uh, the one another's in general and also to talk about the one another's specifically. Hopefully, the plan is to take two a week and talk about two one another's a week. So each week, we'll probably be talking some about the whole concept of community and, and why it's so important. Uh, and when I say community there, I'm talking about uh, scriptural community, the vision of community that God has for his people, and also about some of the specifics. Um, and we're going to do it in alphabetical, just so you know, alphabetical order according to the ESV. So according to the English Standard Version, uh, the first two, two one another's in alphabetical order, <coughs> excuse me, would be bear one another's burdens and bear with one another. Uh, though they sound similar, they're two different things. And yet both of them have profound implications for the quality of community that God wants for us. Sharing the journey is about being there for each other. But what does that look like on the ground? All right. Are we good? You ready? Bear one another's burdens. The advanced reading that we sent out was Galatians 6, 1 to 10. We're just going to read Galatians 6, 1 through 5 this morning. And let's uh, go there now. Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Now skeptics consider this one of the many inherent contradictions in scripture. Steve Wells, the author of the popular Skeptics Annotated Bible, includes these two statements, chapter 6, Galatians 6, 2, and Galatians 6, 5. Um, uh, he includes them as an example, and he says this. Um, well, he, no, I mean, I had myself here. He, inclu he includes those as an example of contradiction. But Dennis McKinsey, uh, in the Encyclopedia of Biblical Errancy, says this. He says, Galatians 6.2 says that we should bear one another's burdens to fulfill the law of Christ, while three verses later, we are told that everyone should bear his own burden. So who is to bear our burdens? One can't help but ask why people would be uh, ob obligated to aid the poor if every person is supposed to bear his own burden. So again, that's from the Encyclopedia of Biblical Errancy, 1995. Um, Dennis uh, McKinsey. Um, so skeptics of Scripture, guided by uh, their presuppositions, confuse contradiction with paradox. And paradox, paradoxes exist. They are real. Uh, Paul loved paradoxes, and he referenced a number of them in his letters. A.W. Tozer famously said this, and I've always thought that this was uh, uh, insightful. A.W. Tozer wrote that truth is like a bird. It cannot fly on one wing. 
And if you think about it, uh, there are two sides to most of the truths that, uh, about life. And we're going to see as we move forward here with some of the language of Galatians chapter 6, that this is in fact a paradox, but it is not in any way a contradiction. So, uh, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let's think about that for a moment. There are uh, at least a half a dozen suggestions that, that I uh, uh, have come across of what it means, what Paul means when he says the law of Christ. Um, I'm not going to list them for you uh, because I, I'm fairly confident and you can decide for yourself and you can check it out and see what you think. But I'm fairly confident that when Paul refers, when Paul says bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, that when he said the law of Christ, I think, I believe he was talking about the love of Christ. Because, and there's a couple of reasons why I believe that, but one of the reasons is because you will be aware and familiar with what Jesus said in John chapter 13 when he says a new command give I unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. And this is probably as good a time as any to also to make uh, a point that this morning that's of, of supreme importance. And that is this, that all of the one another's of the New Testament are aspects of the exhortation to love one another. That what it practically looks like to love one another is expressed in all of the other one another's of the New Testament. And we're going to see that consistently throughout this study, consistently throughout the New Testament, that each and every one of these one another's is a practical, on-the-ground look at what it means to love one another. So now let's take a moment to think about the context of the passage we just read, the context of the passage where Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The context, if you go back to chapter 5, is very well known to Bible students where Paul talks about uh, the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. And um, he uh, talks about walking in the Spirit versus walking in the flesh. Then, in chapter 6, verse 1, which we read, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So this is the immediate context preceding the exhortation to bear one another's burdens. So, bear one another's burdens. We are supposed to help each other in very simple terms. In very simple terms, we are called to help each other. And there are few burdens heavier than the burden of sin and guilt. even when we are not fully conscious of it. 
the Greek word for caught in this passage. It's the only time in the New Testament it occurs. And it means to be overcome or overtaken. It has an element of surprise in it as being trapped or ensnared. The uh, Bauer, Danker, Arndt, and Gingrich Greek lexicon, Greek English lexicon, New Testament, and other early Christian literature says to overtake by surprise, to overpower before one can escape. So do you recall maybe what God said to Cain when he talked to him about sin? I think you do, because we were there not too long ago studying that, looking at that passage. He said, God said to Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is to have you, to, but you must rule over it. The indication from the wording here in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, is, is not of a hardened or determined commitment to sin, but rather, uh, and this uh, Herman Riddenboss in the New International Commentary uh, of the New Testament says, it has the sense of someone falling into sin. There is an unsuspecting nature to it. And likewise, and this is also important, the word for transgression in that same statement is... Uh, an interesting choice of words as well because it means to fall or to fall under. So the sense is similar to what Paul referenced when he was talking to Timothy. Take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So we're talking here about somebody who has somewhat inadvertently got themselves in a mess. And they need help. The you in you who are spiritual is plural. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> you who are spiritual should restore him. Now, we need to be careful here on this point. I think you'll, you'll, you'll agree with me on this. We need to be really careful here. When the scripture says, you who are spiritual, you should restore him. Um, there's been much done in error to create this sense uh, that there are like two classes of Christians. There are the spiritual ones, that's us, and the carnal ones, that's them. Um, as if spiritual is some kind of badge that we're supposed to wear. As, and, it, and it's like a point of pride. Um, what does Paul mean by this phrase? Now, we have the context, which is really helpful because Paul has just talked about walking by the Spirit and not giving in to the works of the flesh. Um, which, by the way, if you look through the works of the flesh in chapter 5, they're almost, almost entirely relational, uh, which is, makes sense. If life is relationship, that makes sense. Uh, but another indication that Paul gives of what he means when he says you are spiritual uh, that I find most helpful is 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I wanted to just take a quick look there at that passage. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, Paul says... But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, 
but as people of the flesh. That's the word carnal in Greek. Um, as infants in Christ. Notice that. But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Uh, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not, uh, um, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Paul there draws a direct line between uh, being spiritual and being mature. And that's how I tend to read Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Those of you who are spiritual would be those of you who, who uh, are, are mature enough uh, to, to be able to come alongside somebody in this way. And part of maturity, you will know, a big part of maturity, in fact, it's, it's kind of like the, the foundation of what it means to be mature, in biblical terms, is, only comes through humility and grace. Um, so we do need to be careful here. We need to exercise uh, the, the care and caution that Paul notes when he says, be careful for yourself, though, lest you also be tempted. Because a mature Christian knows that anyone can mess up and anyone can fall and anyone can make a mistake. And their maturity includes that recognition. And if they don't have that recognition, then they're not mature. Spirit-led believer approaches the matter of restoration in a spirit of gentleness and love while the legalist has an attitude of pride and condemnation. He or she thinks somehow that they are beyond temptation or beyond that temptation. But the truly mature believer living by grace, legalists do not live by grace. The truly mature believer realizes that no one is immune from falling. The word restore there in the Greek is interesting. It's used in Matthew where it says the disciples were mending their nets. It's used in Ephesians chapter 4 where it says that God gave uh, uh, apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists for the equipping of the saints. Same word. Mending their nets, equipping the saints, restoring a fallen believer. It was used for the mending of broken bones. It's commonly used in the medical uh, medical circles. Uh, so, so, so listen, we're supposed to help each other. We're supposed to help each other. And this is what it means to support one another, motivated by love, informed by grace, and guided by humility. <clears throat> now, I just want to say a few words about, about the paradox uh, before we leave this uh, bear one another's burdens passage. Um, and go to the bear with one another passage, I want to just say a couple of things about the paradox because that's an important part of this, what skeptics call the contradiction. So just listen, listen to this. this. This is helpful. The word translated burden, when Paul says bear one another's burdens, it's a, a Greek word that meant a great weight a heavy load um, that is oppressive beyond what a person can or should carry on their own. Uh, that's uh, from 
the uh, Bible Knowledge Commentator uh, commentary. Um, I can give you the information on that if you want it for reference purposes. All you got to do is, is reach out to me. I'll give you that. Um, but, but the idea is that which is excessive and grievous and burdensome. Whereas the word for burden in verse 5, when it says each man must bear his own burden, that's a different word uh, for tion uh, in the Greek, which is a common term for a man's backpack. It's the same word that Jesus used in Matthew 11 when he said, come unto me, all you who are uh, 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 weary and heaven, heaven heavy uh, laden, uh, take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light. So on the one hand, we are called to help each other. So here, here's the paradox, all right? So on the one hand, we're called to help each other. At the same time, however, we recognize that when we help someone, we're not absolving them of their personal responsibility as a free moral agent before God. Helping one another doesn't absolve us of the responsibility of our own stuff. It is somewhat paradoxical, but it's completely true that we are called to both be personally responsible for ourselves while at the same time being there to help one another. And I think that's what Paul is talking about. Uh, Charles Dickens, you all know who Charles Dickens is. He said, no one is useless in this world who lightens the burden of another. Bear one another's burdens and bear with one another. Now we've covered quite a bit already. Maybe we need to take a breath, but I've got a few more minutes left and I want to talk with you a little bit about bearing with one another. And the uh, read ahead passage we gave out in the newsletter a week ago Thursday for that. It's Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 17. We're not going to read all that, but we are going to read uh, right now Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. If you would read with me, chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive and above all, put all, all of these, above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. See, there's that reference to love being the umbrella statement that encompasses all these things. And verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body to be thankful. So we're called to this. We're called to this in one body. We're called into community and be thankful. Be thankful. Do you suppose that means being thankful for each other? It's a grand vision, isn't it? This whole new community, this kingdom community of love. It's a, it's a, grand, it's a grand vision. It's inspiring. It's one of the most inspiring of things when you think about it. 
Next to the reconciliation with the Father brought about by the death of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, I think this is the most, second most inspiring thing in all of Scripture is what that gospel message is meant to do in your life and mine when it comes to our relationships. It's a grand vision. But does that mean that we won't disappoint one another at times? We could say that the one another's listed in the New Testament assume many one another, many other one another's that aren't listed. So, for example, even though Scripture doesn't say, or Paul doesn't say, sometimes you're going to disappoint one another. You know, we don't include disappoint one another as one of the one another's because it's assumed, and it's assumed right here in this passage when it says bear with one another. Because why would you have to bear with somebody if they never disappoint you? If they never let you down, if they never don't meet your expectations, you wouldn't have to bear with them at all. It would just be easy peasy, nice and easy. But community isn't easy. Bear one another's burdens. Does that sound easy to you, Jeff? Bear with one another. Does that sound easy? Of course it doesn't sound easy because relationships are not easy. Helping people with oppressive burdens isn't easy. Bearing with one another is not easy. They're two different things, but they're both important, and neither one of them are easy. Now, the Greek word for bear in Galatians chapter 6, bear one, another burden, one another's burdens, means to take up or to carry. The Greek word translated bear in the exhortation that we just read in Colossians chapter 3 where it says bear with one another. And it's also, by the way, in uh, the um, Ephesians passage, the, um, Ephesians 4, that word is a, a, a different word. It's the word echo. It's a different word with a, with a different uh, meaning. The word translated bear in Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 4, bear with one another, is the same word that Paul used when he talked about how we are supposed to respond when people persecute us. Take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. And we labor working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. That's the word. And when slandered, we we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world. The refuge of all things. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 4. Therefore we we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. That's the same Greek word. So the common words used to translate this word, um, anekel, are the words in, in your Bible, are to endure, <clears throat> to tolerate, to suffer, And maybe sometimes phrases like to hold up or to put up or to put up 
with? <laughs> These are not very flattering terms, are they? You know, when we talk about Christian fellowship, you know, they're not the terms we usually, usually use. Oh, let's get together and suffer each other. How was church today? Well, I enjoyed it. <laughs> they're not flattering terms at all. And, but, but we need to appreciate what, what Paul's saying here. And you will notice this as well. In the Colossians passage that we just read, the word that proceeds directly before Paul says, bear with one another, is what word? Somebody help me. What's the word directly before bear with one another? Come on. I'm running out of time here. Patience. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another is patience. And, and we, patience, that's a nice word, isn't it? The old, what's the old English word for patience? Dale, you're old. I love picking on you, brother. I don't know what it is. You're just like a target. <laughs> And Friday is because he knows his Bible so well. I can ask him almost anything and he can tell me. Uh, the old English word for, for patience is suffer long. Long suffering, right? Now, in Ephesians 2.4.2, which is the parallel passage to the Colossians passage we read, it says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And a few moments ago, we were talking about how love Love is the umbrella that covers all of these things. All these things unpack what it means to love one another. And the great love chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul describes the great agape love of God that, that, that we are to have, that he wants to put in our lives. And he says, let me tell you about love. Love is what? Very first thing. Very first thing Paul says about love is love is patient. Old English, love suffers long. Love is patient, love is kind. Next week we're going to be talking about be kind to one another. But for this morning, patience. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. There's that word endure again. Enduring one another. <laughs> Let me quote one of our own. One of our own members. Three years ago, Asher White said this to his mom. He said, Mom, you have to be patient with me. I'm only four. Very insightful. Very insightful. <laughs> bearing one another's burdens and bearing with one another are two different things. But they're both expressions of what it really means to love one another. Because it's easy to say love one another without really thinking about what it really looks like on the ground. 
I just want to look at some words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and then I just have a couple of closing comments. But uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a uh, well-known German theologian who was martyred by the uh, Nazis after a long term of imprisonment. And uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a lot about community. And one of the things that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about community is, um, I'm going to pull some of these thoughts together this morning, and I'd like to you could take a look, look at it. <coughs> Come on, Joni, you've been with me all morning. You haven't missed a beat. Where are you here, buddy? There he is. This, that's the quote. Let me read it for you and with you. The Christian, however, must bear the burden of a brother. He must suffer and endure the brother. It is only when, and you could add sister there if you want, depending on your situation. It is only when he is a burden that another person is really a brother and not merely an object to be manipulated. The burden of men was so heavy for God himself that he had to endure the cross. God verily bore the burden of men in the body of Jesus Christ, but he bore them as a mother carries her child, as a shepherd enfolds the lost lamb that has been found. God took men upon himself and they weighted him to the ground, but God remained with them and they with God. In bearing with men, God maintained fellowship with them. Excuse me. It was the law of Christ that was fulfilled in the cross, and Christians must share in this law. Just pulling some of the thoughts together that we've been thinking about this morning. When God calls us to himself through the gospel, it's not only a call to belong to him, but it's also a call to belong to all that is his. We are called into each other's lives by God. We are called to share each other's burdens, to ease those burdens, but we shouldn't expect that to be easy. We are also called to suffer one another, which includes all those annoying things about us as individuals that we would just as soon not deal with. Christian community is built on the love and the grace of Jesus, and it means that you get to benefit from any help that I can be to you. But it also means you have to put up with me. You don't get to choose. You can't have it both ways. And that's why we refer to this as a blessed mess. I think April made mention of that messiness when she was sharing earlier. But what makes it all work is Jesus, who is the ultimate burden bearer, the one who not only suffered us, but suffered for us because he loves us. And he wants to pour that love into our hearts and our lives. How does that happen? Jesus said, come to me. It's relational. It's relational. And if there's one thing I've said from this platform more than anything else that I would say more than anything else over and over again until the day I die, it is that our relationship with God through Jesus Christ is the basis and foundation for all of our lives, for all eternity. 
and for all of our other relationships. We love because he loved us. We love one another with the love of Christ that we experience from him in our relationship with him. So if you do not have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you are missing out on life. You can have that relationship. What did Jesus say? Come to me. Come to me. He said, let the children come to me. Don't turn them away. Whoever has the son has life, Jesus said. But he who has not the son has not life, and the wrath of God abides on him. That's the wrath against God's wrath against sin because it's through the relationship with Jesus Christ that we have the forgiveness of our sins and that's what opens the floodgates for our God's grace and love and mercy to flood our lives and fill us with the love of God and the mercy and compassion and grace of Jesus that becomes, becomes the fellowship, the community, that we are called to have. I have to stop because I'm definitely out of time and a little over time. So I'm gonna stop there I'm, uh, and I'm done. I, what, more, what more do I need to say? I think that, that that's the point we need to end on. And so I'm gonna ask um, you to stand uh, with me as we close. And pray with me. How are we going to end the service this morning? Well, we're going to end it with prayer. Sometimes it would be nice to sing. But we're going to pray together. Will you, will you join me? Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, that even though there are many skeptics, that those who take the time to consider what you're really trying to say to us in your word, we'll find that it reflects the realities of life. I think of a quote I read this week from John Stott who said, the reason the skeptic can't find God is the same reason the thief can't find a policeman. Lord, um, thank you for giving us hearts filled with faith to reach out to you, to come to you for all that you want to do in our lives and through us to encourage others. And I pray, Lord, for anyone who, who doesn't have the assurance of that relationship that this morning that they would realize that you and you alone are able to forgive them and to cleanse them from all sin and guilt and to give them eternal life. I pray, Lord, that even right now they might just look to you and say, Lord, God, I believe. I choose to believe based on what I've, what I've heard in your word. You promise, your promise when you say, come to me. And so, Lord, right now I come to you, Jesus, and I ask for the forgiveness of my sins. And I ask for the gift of eternal life. And I ask you to make me part of your family. And I thank you.
for the life that you give. Lord, bless your people today and bless us as we, as we move out into uh, the rest of the day and the week. And uh, use us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.